Well, it's almost the end of the month, and what a month for equities, not just in the United States, but around the world as well. So what does that mean for bond yields as we see vaccinations being ramped up and interest returning to companies that have been struggling through the pandemic? Plus, the UK and the EU have been talking fish this weekend. Could they be ready to reel in a deal early this week? Plus, China's PMIs today. And what, if anything, could happen in the worsening relations between Australia and China, which curiously hasn't impacted iron ore prices too much. It's Monday, the 30th of November, 2020. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the Nasdaq had a good week last week, up 0.9% on Friday. In November so far, and of course it's almost over, it's up almost 12% with just one day to go. The Dow had more modest gains on Friday, but over the month it's up almost 13%. The S&P 500, a quarter percent up on Friday, 11% up uh, through November. Uh, even the uh, the Russell 2000 small cap index, that rose 3.9% last week. So smaller businesses are seen as a safer bet than they were uh, earlier in the year, that's for sure. Of course, trade was tight on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, so we might see a bit more action today. A quarter percent fall in the US dollar on Friday. It was down 0.6% across the week. It finished the week on the DXY index at 91.79, which is the lowest it's been since May 2018. The pound down a third of 1% on Friday over Brexit heebie-jeebies. But uh, maybe a bit more hope over the weekend, so perhaps that's going to come bouncing back today. Treasury yields are back in demand, a four-basis point drop in 10-year yields on Friday, down to 0.84%, which is pretty much where it started the month, although, of course, it did peak uh, above 0.9% earlier in the month. So almost at the month end for our last morning call of November. Here's Rodrigo Catrill, Senior FX Strategist at NAB. So, Rodrigo, I mean, equities had a stunning month. Anyone would think the U.S. economy was in good shape, or the world economy, wouldn't it? Because it's not just U.S. equities. We look at the the MSCI World Index, also up more than 13% over November. Yes, uh, morning, Phil. It's been an exceptional month uh, for equity investors. Um, And in fact, many of the headlines are highlighting how the FTSE World Index uh, not only has made a new record high on Friday, but it's also uh, looks set to to record its best month in in its history. So it has been very rewarding. Uh, And indeed, as you mentioned, um, it hasn't been sort of a a rotation exercise. All all equity sectors have performed well. I was looking at the S&P 500 um, and the all sectors are up, uh, even utilities, the defensive sectors are still showing just over 2% or under 2% gains for the month. So um, very rewarding. And of course, that's been uh, the vaccine story by, uh, by and large in terms of the, giving that support and that yeah. encouragement to sort of look beyond the negative news around the virus over the near term and try to price in the, the good story over the medium term. I'm sure it's only a small part of it as well, but the fact that Donald Trump will leave the White House, maybe he's going to leave the White House like Dominic Cummings left uh, number 10, he'll pack up all his belongings in a cardboard box and uh, and leave through the uh, through the front entry <laughs> but uh, i mean it is that isn't it and, and we're also seeing i mean investment now going back into places where it had shied away from so even it's not just equities if we look at corporate bonds even you know so-called junk bonds seem to be in demand now as part of this vaccine euphoria as well yes yes now that, that is really reflective of the improvement in, in risk appetite where you know, you've seen this broad broadening of investment, whereas before it was sort of the uh, the safe bets, if you like, during the stay-at-home investment. Now it's, it's broadening into all those opportunities that uh, before were, were being hammered because of the vaccine. So certainly the corporate story is, is very much the hunt for yield, if you like, particularly in a world where, you know, central banks are here to stay. Mm-hmm. It's definitely on, and, and the, you're seeing the big performance as well in the corporate sector. And yet, you know, here comes the bad news. 
because uh, we've got to be realists in all of this. 1,283 new deaths on Saturday in the United States brings the total there to 264,000, almost. Uh, the Center for Disease Control is forecasting in the next four weeks the weekly total will be at least 15,000 and possibly 20,000, which will be more than the first peak. They say the best case scenario is that they'll reach 400,000 deaths by March. Now, I don't know whether this is uh, assuming no vaccine, uh, but whichever way you look at it, I mean, even, you know, just looking at that, reaching a 15,000 total, weekly total for deaths is, these are scary numbers for the United States. Very scary numbers. And uh, we also had news over the weekend that the U.S. recorded uh, for the first time more than 200,000 daily infections. And of course, as Dr. Fauci highlighted, um, you know, Thanksgiving um, is a concern because we had uh, over 50 million U.S. travelers. And then there's all these gatherings, family gatherings and so on. So. Um, it's difficult to see how these numbers will slow down over the coming weeks, given the, the, the increasing uh, in, in social interaction. Um, so uh, the numbers in the U.S. are a concern. And I suppose in Europe, it's worth highlighting as well that as much as the, the U.K. and France are looking to ease up some, some of the restrictions, Germany numbers are still looking quite concerning. And, and Merkel is still talking about, you know, even the prospects of still having lockdowns over, over Christmas as well. Yeah, well, mobility in the United States is 28% below normal compared to the UK where it's 43% down so they are travelling a lot more in the United States so that is almost certainly not helping so I mean we're seeing this would account for the cautiousness we're still seeing uh, in, 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 in the treasury markets yeah that's an interesting one I mean would you look at the performance not only on Friday where we see longer data yields rallying uh, around four basis points um, but also over the course of the month it's been really sort of a range bound environment for, for the US treasury market again reflecting a more cautious tone relative to sort of this exuberance that we've seen in the equity market and also, you know, the weakness in the dollar, which again is, is a reflection of improvement in, in risk appetites. So I suppose that that's where the vaccine story comes along and then that's where the market, I suppose the treasury market is sort of trying to decide what it all means uh, relative to sort of a more forward-looking market, which is evident in the equity market. People are still spending, of course. <clears throat> Black Friday, uh, largely online, certainly not many people going into, into stores. But figures from Adobe Analytics suggest U.S. consumers spent $9 billion on Friday, which would be the second best Black Friday ever, up 21% on a year ago. And uh, they're saying that uh, on Monday, Cyber Monday, that it could be even higher, the biggest, probably the highest spend ever on, a, on Cyber Monday. But look, what about the pound? Let's look at what's happening in the U.K., because they've been talking over the weekend. Uh, there was a lot of uh, concern over Brexit rhetoric at the, at the end of last week, which hit the pound, particularly on Friday. But face-to-face negotiations resumed, uh, and there's some reports that Europe might relent on the U.K.'s fishing demands. Now, pretty much the U.K.'s fishing demands are they want to keep all the fish to themselves. <laughs> yes. So I suppose the interesting thing, as you say, is that we saw the pound underperforming against the backdrop of the U.S. dollar weakness. There was broad weakness across the board on Friday. Um, but then over the weekend, the, the big news is that Telegraph News that is suggesting that a compromise is has been reached uh, between the UK and the EU, uh, where transition period for, for this fishing industry will, will be implemented, um, allowing the, the fishing industry to both in, in Europe and in the in the UK to sort of adjust to, to the, the change in, in, in the regulation and, and access. Um, and, and we've seen the pound now effectively this morning recover pretty much all the losses that, that they incurred on Friday. So 
is moving up. Um, and what is also reflective is that there's, there's certainly an appetite, if you like, to make a deal uh, and an appetite to, 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 to reach a compromise now that sort of the deadline, if you like, or time is running out. So it is a positive development, but, uh, you know, we still got to be cautious that um, we still, we're not over the line yet, but it's certainly a positive outlook for, for the start of the week. Now, China's PMIs are the big number probably for today. What are they going to show? And uh, will they influence the markets any? Uh, I mean, we know they're doing pretty well in China. And also, while you're, you're talking China, what about the, um, you know, the, the worsening relationship between uh, China and Australia? You know, we've got these massive tariffs now between 107% and 212% on Australian wine. Uh, but, you know, we didn't see much reaction on the Aussie. Don't fact, the Aussie dollar actually increased a bit on Friday uh, uh, after that news. Uh, and, uh, you know, iron ore still in demand. Uh, <laughs> prices are actually at six-year highs. It's the coal, isn't it, that's feeling the pinch. But tell me about those worsening relations and also the importance of PMIs today. Yes, yeah, so I suppose the, the, the PMI story in China today is, is, if you like, more of a confirmation that they, they're doing well. Uh, the momentum that we've seen in terms of the expansionary mode is suspected to, again, be reaffirmed by, by the numbers with the manufacturing PMI printing at 51.5 or expected to print at 51.5, one-tenth higher than the previous month. And again, the non-manufacturing sector also being sort of the leading, uh, or if you like, carrying the, the momentum in growth in, in the China economy, and it's expected to, to print relatively unchanged at 56. So still very solid expansionary mode. Um, and I suppose the story for, for China and why we didn't see much of a move on Friday is that to some extent this was expected. This was already on the cards in terms of we know or we knew that China was, was looking to implement restrictions on, on the wine industry in, the, in, the, in Australia. Um, and I suppose that the big story for us or from a macro perspective and for the Aussie dollar is that as much as this is terrible news for, for the wine industry, when you look at it in, in terms of perspective, it's still sort of a, a small portion of, of exports for, for the Australian economy uh, and also a small portion of, of the big tickets that, that China looks to buy from, from Australia. So. Um, unfortunately, it does suggest that the, the tensions between Australia and, and China are not improving. Uh, and in fact, it is a concern. Um, and, and the big concern, if you like, going forward is that if this doesn't, doesn't improve, then as and when the economies look to reopen and, you know, travel and tourism becomes more important, um, then there will be some concerns about whether China will impose some restrictions for, for Australia as well. And that could be a major concern because that's a bigger portion, if you like, for exports and, and, and for the, for the economy as well. So look, it, it's not just equity prices that uh, that had a good month. Oil uh, showed strong rises as well. WTI was up 27% in uh, this month so far. Uh, of course, OPEC are meeting. Uh, they're officially meeting uh, today and tomorrow, but they had informal talks uh, on Sunday. So the big question, are they going to extend the current production quotas? You'd assume they would. Uh, another, the other question is, is everyone going to play ball like Libya, for example? And if they do, for how long? I guess because it's a very uncertain future, isn't it? I mean, they, they're not going to uh, extend those production quotas for a long time if they feel like uh, the global economy is going to come bouncing back in a few months. Yes. And the, I suppose the other aspect of all of that is that there's an interest by many OPEC members and OPEC and friend members that are, are not in a very strong fiscal position to look to increase the production in order to improve the fiscal position. So that's 
that's that's sort of the, the tension, if you like. Um, and uh, at the moment, what we know is that they're, they're having a meeting today, just OPEC, and then OPEC and friends are having another meeting tomorrow. So um, as you say, the, the headlines are all, what we need to look out for is whether those problem charts are, are going to toe the line or whether they, they look to, to, to you know, try to increase their own supply and destabilize the market. In particular, there's a lot of focus in Iran. As you said, Libya is another, is another one that the, the market is looking at. But overall, the, ge- the general view is that um, you know, if, if OPEC looks to keep the restrictions, then oil prices are likely to remain well supported and expected to continue to increase. Um, but if the worst is to be sort of an increase in the supply, then that, that story will, will change significantly. Yeah. All right. Now, uh, you'd assume they'll see sense. New Zealand Business Conference uh, confidence numbers uh, are out this morning. Christine Lagarde uh, is talking at the European Policy Centre Forum this evening. Uh, we get Chicago PMI numbers pending home sales as well for the US for October uh, uh, later on as well. Uh, all the interesting stuff, though. Uh, not a lot of interesting stuff today. All the interesting stuff is later in the week, isn't it, really? Yes. So we have quite a lot of stuff, not only domestically, but overseas. Uh, of course, we have the RBA tomorrow. Um, whilst we know that no change is expected in terms of policy, um, I think the market will be trying to, to get a better sense of what, what is the story with QE, what happens after the six months and particularly whether you know, you know, they will continue to do QE even if the economy is improving significantly. Um, so that's, that's kind of not only a debate for the RBA but it's also a debate for many other central banks if you know, the vaccine story does prove to be right and, and we see economies improving significantly in 2021, will central banks still retain the ultra easy policy uh, in order to support the economy? So that's probably a debate, not not only for, for this month, but uh, um, for the new month, but also for, for next year, uh, and also applicable not just for the RBA, but for other central banks too. We also have the Q3 GDP on Wednesday, which will be important in Australia. Um, and then it's all about payrolls and the US economy. So we have payrolls and ISM uh, coming up late in the week. Uh, and again, a lot of focus again on, on vaccine news, uh, as well as developments around Europe yeah, and the UK. Absolutely. It could be a big, big week, couldn't it? Okay, we'll leave it there for now. Great to talk. Catch you soon, Rodrigo. Pleasure, Phil. Talk soon. Cheers. And that's it. I'll see you next month. Well, tomorrow morning, actually. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Uh, Have a great day.